Hello and welcome to episode 40 of The Worst Critics, where we talk to you about the latest and sometimes not so greatest in music, movies, TV, and more. I'm Noah Davis. I'm John Pina. I was going to say I'm your host, Noah Davis, but it's kind of weird to say that because I think we're kind of co-hosting, we're back and forth, so uh, I'm your co-host, Noah Davis. So, uh, and I'm your co-host, John Pena. Boom. Yeah, let's get to the news first bit. Uh, Tom Hanks, Bill Murray, and Adrian Brody have joined the cast of Wes Anderson's new film alongside Tilda Swinton that we talked about last week. No plot details, but kind of to be expected, Bill Murray. Uh, I don't know if Adrian Brody's been in one, and I'm not sure if Tom Hanks Tom has Hanks been Tom Hanks as well, yeah. So they might be some new Wes Anderson, uh, some fresh blood for him. Well, Older fresh blood for him. Uh, <laughs> Old fresh blood. I mean, you know, I Wes Anderson, I, I know what I'm expecting, or I know what I'm getting from a Wes Anderson movie, and I'm sure Tom Hanks and Adrian Brody will blend in just fine. Uh, How does he yeah. have so much time? How does he so creative? He probably he makes I, a okay, movie like I'd every say, two years. Yeah, I'd say he has ideas in the bank, you know, in the vault. And then the actual oh, production sure. is probably what's take the longest, or what takes the longest, you know? Yeah, like, I wonder, does he even have a script, or does he just tell people their characters and they just fuck, fuck around? That might be it. He might write the script on the go or something. Or he wrote it five years ago, you know? He's already mm-hmm. got it planned out. He's like, this is how it works. You have no improv, you know, nothing like that. But, uh, yeah, we'll see that movie, I think, next year, late next year, uh, right after what the French Dispatch, what was it called? French Dispatch, you got it French right this dispatch. time. sweet. All right. Moving on to, you know, how we talked about that Batgirl movie, how it cast its Batgirl with the woman who played Nina and In the Heights. Well, it has now cast its Commissioner James Gordon in J.K. Simmons, who you might know played James Gordon in Justice League. Um, I don't know the continuity. I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not even going to try to explain it. It's the best, uh, I don't know what the term is, but the boss that isn't actually the boss character, like when he was in the Tobey Maguire Superman, the boss, but he's not really the boss. J. Jonah Jameson, yeah. Yes, and it's the same character, right? I mean, no, it's No, it's, no, because J. Jonah Jameson's, like, chaotic good, you know? But then uh, James Gordon's more lawful Maybe lawful neutral. Maybe not even lawful good. He's he's lawful though, but uh, no, I I think they're a little they're different. They they're definitely similar, and J.K. Simmons can definitely do both these roles similar. But I'm not saying that they're exactly the same. I'm saying they serve the same purpose of a character. Yeah, tough guy in charge probably give her a hard time. Yeah, I mean yeah yeah. Oh. yeah. But that uh the weed in Justice League he maybe played the character for five minutes. So he didn't get any time to shine whatsoever. But, whoa, 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 not the super cut. He got like seven minutes of that. He wasn't <laughs> in it a lot. Even the Snyder cut, he didn't get a lot of screen time, which is kind of sad. But uh, hopefully he gets more of a prominent role in this Batgirl movie, which uh, apparently production has been fast-tracked. So we'll see that as early as next year. Okay, moving on. I don't care about this news. I'm just going to preface that one. But uh, Jodie Whittaker is set to leave Doctor Who. And this is alongside the current showrunner, Chris Chibnall. Kibnall? I don't, yeah, I don't okay. know how do you pronounce that one. Chris Chibnall, who was the showrunner since she took over as the 13th Doctor. I'm not a Whovian, but I figured we might as well report on it. If you're a Whovian out there, you could stop listening to this show. 
I mean, don't do that. I just don't understand why you like that show is all. That's that's my thing. Yeah, actually, you know what? You can be our first uh, listener guest. You come here and you talk about Doctor Who. You have to defend Doctor Who. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Give us the best episodes. As people who have tried, we're just like, huh? Yeah, I I don't get it. But uh, yeah, moving on. Uh, We talked about that Haunted Mansion reboot that Disney was trying to get off the ground maybe three, four weeks ago. Well, now Disney has reportedly want the likes of Lakeith Stanfield and Tiffany Haddish for the lead roles. Not really surprising. Two big names uh, for a reboot movie. They, I mean, what, they got Emily Blunt and Dwayne Johnson for that Jungle Cruise movie. So, not It's really two surprising. big names. It's just, I wonder what that will mean as far as the billing is concerned. Because, like, obviously the, it was Eddie Murphy, right? Was yeah. the Disney yeah, haunted house? Yeah. Haunted Mansion, rather. Um, That billing was like, this is Eddie Murphy, the movie, and Mm. then it's under the guise of Haunted Mansion. So this would make it seem as though Tiffany Haddish is the lead, right? I mean, you know... Not that Lakeith couldn't be, but as far as billing, I'm like, she's a much bigger bill. Yeah, not really a huge lead name at the moment. Uh, And again, he could still be the lead male, but I'm just like... I don't think it's going to be the exact same story. You're de- you're definitely right. The original Han Mansion was a vehicle for Eddie Murphy. You know, it, it wasn't right. it wasn't anything else. I couldn't even tell you who else was in that movie. Doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> Eddie Murphy, exactly. So, yeah, I mean that is interesting. Uh, you know, hopefully it's actually maybe about the haunted mansion and not just about the Eddie Murphy character, but probably mm-hmm. not. Whatever. Um, uh, Wallace Shawn is in that movie. Oh, is he the you know ghost? Him? He's one of the ghosts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah from uh, Princess Bride. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I mean, totally. Everyone else, I mean, you might know Terrence, Terrence Stamp from name, but... Not off the top of my plays, head. He plays, like, just weird Englishmen in most movies. I, I don't know what things he's been in, but... You would know. It doesn't matter. Go on. Okay, moving on to some more casting news. Uh, that Universal monster movie Renfield that we talked about a couple, maybe a month ago now. Uh, it's that Dracula spinoff. Was it Dracula? He's Dracula's helper. Something. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, okay, yeah. I think he's Dracula's helper. Uh, that movie, Chris McKay's Renfield, has cast Nicholas Holt in its lead role. Uh, you'll know Nicholas Holt. Played Beast in the X Men First Class reboot series. Played uh, the War Boy, the main War Boy in Mad Max Fury Road. The man does plenty of stuff. That's just the two I can think off the top of my head. But uh, I'm, I, you know what? I guess I'll wait and see this. I'm not. Uh, I don't have any affinity for old Dracula, and I guess even less so for a character I don't even know. So yeah, just gonna move on to the next piece of news. Talking about Martin Scorsese's next movie, uh, Killer of the Flower Moon, has cast Brendan Fraser alongside its main cast of Leonardo DiCaprio and what's his name, Jesse Plemons. Uh, Jesse Plemons is going to be the lead. DiCaprio was going to be the lead, but then something changed or the script changed and they made Jesse Plemons the lead. And then Netflix bowed out of producing it because it cost too much money. He's glowed up so much, Jesse Plemons. I mean, that's from Like Mike to Judas and the Black Messiah to this. I'm just yeah. like... To leading like, a Scorsese movie. I mean, that's yeah. that's probably a peak of a lot of people's careers, I would I would assume. Uh, 
yeah, this is going to be Apple TV Plus because Netflix bowed out because it reportedly cost more than $200 million. And Netflix didn't love the last time they spent that on Martin Scorsese. Uh, I presume, anyways, they didn't officially say that. But to bow out of a bidding war like that, I mean, one, one can only make an assumption. Yeah. Uh, what, $300 million for the Irishman? I think that was, that was the uh, price tag. Yeah. All right. I'm ridiculous. Moving on to some new TV and movie announcements. Julian Moore and Sebastian Stan are set to star in Apple twenty Apple twenty four Apple and A twenty four's newest movie, Sharper. Uh, according to Deadline, it follows a con artist who's played by Julian Moore as she works over some billionaires of Manhattan. I assume Sebastian Stan is one of those billionaires. Uh, it's going to be a thriller movie. Not really. Not much else is known. And we'll just move on to DreamWorks Animation has announced the cast for its new action comedy, The Bad Guys. Okay, this cast includes, hold on, I need a second, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Anthony Ramos, Mark Marin, Craig Robinson, Lily Singh, Zazie Beetz, Alex Borstein, and Richard Ioade. Io- uh, it is going to be directed and I think co-written by Garfield live action movies, Ethan Cohen. Uh, it is going to be... Directed and I think co-written by Garfield Live Action's Ethan Cohen, and is about a group of reformed villains, Mr. Wolf, Mr. Piranha, yada yada, more animals who are fed up with being or people being terrified of them and become a force for good. It's based on so two, an illustrated book things. series. Uh, one, the bad guys isn't that already a movie with that title? With the uh, oh no, it's the other guys that I'm thinking of. Never mind. The other guys, uh, the nice guys. Yeah. Yeah, the nice guys is the one that I was like, I know it's not that, but I thought there was another, but that was the other guys. Um, but the other thing is, isn't this basically the plot of Mastermind? I mean, yeah. <laughs> Megamind, whatever it's called. Megamind, the I think it's Megamind. Will Ferrell one? Yep. I mean, okay. yeah, but... I know. like the cast, you know? I love Alex Borstein, I like Sam Rockwell, Aquafina's usually pretty good. Everyone else... I mean, Craig Robinson's actually very good, but yeah, I don't really know the other It's talking animals. And they they wear suits in the book, so animals in suits, you know, like right. DreamWorks hasn't put out the best things in the last while, but at least that sounds promising. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, better than what I've seen them put out in a few years. Uh, yeah, I just realized that cast is, I mean, not stacked, quote unquote, but that's a lot that's of people. DreamWorks now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, it's not Shrek, but. Okay, moving on to some reboots and sequels. Uh, Amazon's Lord of the Rings show will premiere on September 2nd, 2022. We have finally got a release date. They released one image, and it showed Rivendale, and that's it. They didn't even tell you when the image, like what episode that image was from. They just gave you an image, and uh, September 2nd next year. And, I mean, I guess the release date had to come out sometime. Production is still on and off i think at this point yeah, in mean, time they basically they basically told us it's coming out in a year's time which is pretty good like that's not i don't know that's not uncalled for and i don't think it seems rushed at this point now oh so. not a, not not at all i mean it's been in production for six years now so well i'm saying i'm saying because of what we've known for this past year what we'll be covering at least as far as our news right and then to give us a year from now i'm like that's plenty of time to fix any small little hiccups that might have come or, you know, COVID-related, you know, production. I'm like, shut the fuck up. No, <laughs> no more. 
For sure. I mean, I, you know, they have a lot riding on this. I, I, I wholeheartedly believe all of Amazon TV is... Three seasons already tied into it or whatever, and yeah. I'm sure spinoff shows, etc. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's all riding on this. I think <laughs> Amazon this is fails, make or break on this. Yeah. I, I, I 100%. I, I think Amazon TV... No more TV. Jeff Moon trips, no more. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just Prime TV. They'll just slice off that division and we'll never hear about it ever again if this fails but if it's successful i bet they'll you know continue on we'll get more yada yada tv usually premiere on fridays uh what does tv usually premiere no, uh, on fridays? you know maybe like netflix wise and stuff but just does... cable wise no fridays really isn't that popular of a day september 2nd of next year is a Friday, and I think that's kind of strange. Well, maybe streaming has changed things. So, you know, people watch things, probably binge on the weekend more now, but back when cable and networks were a thing, uh, yeah, right. Fridays were The working were like, man, when he would come home to his Fridays was and... dead time. That, yeah. that was when the rebooted versions of old shows came on, and people didn't care. Mm-hmm. Like, a MacGyver reboot probably came on Friday after a while. But, yeah. Moving on to a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles project. Uh, I know we talked about an animated show reboot that Seth Rogen was doing, but this is another project that's going to be a, I assume, a live-action movie reboot. Uh, They have tapped Colin Jost and his brother... Oh, Jost, maybe? It's Colin Jost? Colin Jost and his brother Casey Jost to write the movie. Uh, It'll be... It'll be for Paramount. I, I don't know if it's Paramount Plus I or Theatrical. I have no idea. I just, I don't know. Colin Jost, I don't know if he's written a movie. No, it's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. Yeah. I was just going to say, how does this kind of thing work? How does Seth Rogen get to do an animated movie no, for no, a different no. I studio? I think he's doing an animated show. Or animated series, either way. But with the same IP for a different studio. Like, doesn't the studio own the rights? No, well, they're the same. <laughs> so... This is for Paramount's theatrical studio, but, I mean, Nickelodeon falls under CBS Viacom. So, technically, they're still the same company. They're just different branches of that company or different subsidiaries. So, they probably own the IP somewhere up the line so that all the other ones can... Trickle down IP, you know? Yeah, of course. So, yeah. It's uh, the basis of any good uh, industry. I, I didn't realize they were going to reboot the live-action movies. I didn't think that last series turned out too well, but... Uh, no. Whatever it was, this was it just two? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was just two. It was uh, Out of the Shadows or something was the second one. I, I don't know. I don't care. We can move on. I only on. saw one of them. Yeah. We can move on to another bad movie getting a reboot. In the way of Waterworld is getting its very own TV show adaptation. As in the works at Universal Television, so probably a Peacock show. I'm not sure. You can't really confirm that these days. But it's going to be made by Universal. And apparently Dan Trachtenberg, Trachtenberg is rumored to direct and write some of it. That is going. <clears throat> that is the director for 10 Cloverfield Lane and the new Predator that we talked about last week. Well, and it's an awful movie that was completely panned when it came out. Like, it didn't make any money. But they had so much invested in it, they took all of the set design and put it at Universal Studio, and it became their biggest attraction at Universal Studio Parks. Wow. The Waterworld, like, thing is, like, it's almost the entire movie set with actors doing a whole bunch of, you know, trapeze work, etc., and a big explosion and everything. But, like, pretty much the whole set is, like, right there, and you go and view, like, a version of that. 
I wonder if it's because that's so popular and people have forgotten about the movie because that came out like before we were born. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Like, people have forgotten about the movie for sure. So I'm like, I've, I'm sure this will probably be fine. I'm sure people would be really interested in this because now it's like a known universal IP, but that people don't really understand why. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The only people who are going to know is, you know, people who are critics or older, much older generations. Because uh, I want to say that was mid-80s. I want to say I might be wrong there. I, I could totally be wrong there because Waterworld seems like it could come out in the last 30 years, like any time. Uh, uh, 1995. Wow. Three hour movie. Damn. Weird. Uh, shoot. Oh, that doesn't seem like a 90s movie. But yeah, we're, we're getting a Waterworld TV show. Probably going to be a Peacock show. And moving on to a weird piece of news. So we talked about a Flash Gordon reboot. Back in February, I think, or March. And Taika Waititi is going to be doing it. He's going to be, you know, headline directing, writing. I could have sworn it was going to be live action. And maybe I just got this mixed up. But apparently it was going to be animated. And now it will be live action. So in case we got that wrong a few months ago, uh, I just assumed all reboots are going to be live action unless you tell me explicitly it's not going right, to be. They're not going to be. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Taika Waititi's reboot, apparently he had a lot of ideas, so now it's going to be live action. And or they thought they could make more money. I mean, that's, that one. <laughs> yeah, that's always my guess. But uh, yeah, we'll move on. The new Fresh Prince of Bel-Air dramatic reboot is getting rid of its second showrunner, uh, Diane Houston. And Peacock apparently wants a quote-unquote slightly different creative direction and is now looking for a broad-skewing network-style show in contrast to the edgy, edgy premium series that Diane Houston and the original showrunner Chris Collins had wanted to deliver. Which seems like a big loss. Edgy Seems premium huge. show in the Fresh Prince U? Sick. Yep. Broad skewing network style show with no fucking Will Smith, with no Carlton, whatever his name is. Bless Alfonso, his heart. Uh, something. Rivera? Uh, Rivera? Okay. I don't know. It's something. I don't know. And no Uncle Phil. Like, you won't make me care about the show if it doesn't try to innovate. If it just tries to do the same thing with different people. God forbid, Jaden of those people. No, no. That, I really don't think the show's budget is that high. And yeah, I know Jaden really shouldn't be quote unquote high budgeted, but I think he actually is. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I really doubt the show's cast is going to be that stellar. Uh, it'd be cool to see some original actors or at least some nods to original actors or a cameo from a couple of them, but... Uh, right, Aunt Viv or something. One of the two Aunt yeah. Vivs comes yeah. in. Will could play uh, Uncle Phil. How about that one? Ugh. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just... I, I think I definitely prefer an edgy premium show because... A million percent. You know, network shows, you just think of ABC and CBS is just dramas or legal dramas and those are just so boring so i don't know i'll probably watch the first episode when it comes out but i'm officially not excited for this and Thanks. moving on to a piece of news i totally read over last week uh it was announced that reggie john page who starred in the netflix original bridgerton that first season that seemed to be really popular he is going to star in an paramount's reboot of the saint this is some old novel adventure movie series that 
from way back when. I don't think they've made a movie in 30 or 40 years, but it's weird to note that I think Roger Moore played the saint before he played James Bond. And there's a little hubbub around Reggie John Page trying to be James Bond. So, I don't know. It's not a prerequisite, but can't help, right? Get some get some practice in for the Bond role. Right. Okay, uh, moving on. Renewals and cancellations. South Park has been renewed until 2027. Uh, oh. That will be 30 seasons on the air. Paramount has also... Sorry, CBS Viacom has also announced that they will be making 14 original movies for Paramount Plus and be making a new 3D game or a 3D video and whatever, whatever that entails. The renewal, I'm not really surprised by at all. But the 14 original Paramount Plus movies, that'll be interesting. Well, that's if the show's only renewed for six more years, how can you make 14 movies in six years? I don't know, man. I have no idea. Now, um, now, well, my answer is, are they just going to be show specials and they'll call those movies because they're an hour and a half? Like the COVID pandemic special? Like, is that a movie? I mean, maybe. Yeah. It's probably going to be the specials. See, right, just like a prolonged episode. It's not a real movie. Right, right. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean that's, that's bigger, longer, saying. uncut doesn't feel like an episode. It's true. Feels Still, like a it's movie. Gonna be, it's going to be 14 event episodes. That's probably the better way to describe that. But uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone uh, put out an official statement and said, Comedy Central has been our home for 25 years, and we're really happy they've made a commitment for us to the next 75 years. Uh, yeah, that adds up. That yeah, tracks. Definitely. I, I wouldn't be surprised that this contract will obviously go on past 2030 if, if we're all still here, you know, and <laughs> South Park okay. remains. Uh, yeah, 14 Paramount Plus original movies. I think that would drive a big crowd to Paramount Plus that might not have Paramount Plus. I mean, I would, I would assume, though, you know. I don't know if Paramount Plus has this really broad reach. Right. Not a huge captive audience, for sure. Yeah, like, yeah, I don't know who their target audience is, and I don't know what they're going for, really, or what, you know, you know what I mean, uh, who they're trying to engage. But moving on to Sweet Tooth, which is a Netflix original show that came out a few months ago. Uh, it has been renewed for season two. It was a show based off a graphic novel or, you know, a comic series. It was produced by Robert Downey Jr. I didn't watch the show, but I remember seeing people weren't really loving it because it took away a lot of mature tones and made it more family friendly, which kind of sounds... Yeah, sounds like a bummer, but, uh, you know, I guess it worked out for them, you know? Uh, Netflix isn't afraid to put a show on the chopping block, so this one made it pass and has been renewed. Especially a show that was, like, not doing poorly. Like, they've shown that they're pretty uh, conservative when it comes to that. Like, they're like, you better be giving us a lot of money in return and we're not fucking with you at all. Yeah, I I mean, I, I wonder how popular this show was because I don't remember it making a dent in pop culture I don't remember a lot of people talking about it. I just, unless I was actively looking for it, I don't see a mention of it. So, kind of weird. But uh, yeah, moving on to our last group of new, big group of news uh, update on last week. The new Predator movie is not going to be called Skull. Thank God. Yeah, yeah, that is what the producers and Dan Trattenberg are calling it behind the scenes. I don't know why they'd even reveal that in an interview. I don't know why you do that, but uh, 
Right, does that mean the whole premise is based on a skull now? Like, who knows? Maybe there's some symbolism to it. I don't know. I, who knows? Uh, yeah, I just I just wanted to update that. That was a bad name, so thank God. And, well, maybe maybe a bunch of people shared our sentiment, and so they were just like, "Oh, we have to ixnay this whole fucking skull thing because people are going to be furious." Definitely possible. I mean, it, it was just a bad name. It's just a bad name. Doesn't tell you anything about it. All right. Uh, this is uh, yeah, we're in the etc. piece group of news, so this is kind of a weird one. Uh, the Cohen brothers are no more apparently. Uh, Ethan Cohen is done with movies for now or at the moment. The Cohen brothers musical collaborator Carter Burwell says that Joel Cohen's new tragedy of Macbeth or the new retelling of Macbeth is going to I'm be. I'm not gonna lie. You said Ethan Cohen earlier. Different that's a Ethan different Cohen. guy. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. a different guy. So, okay, I'm going to go back to that actually real quick. Garfield is directed by another guy named Ethan Cohen who did a lot of animation way back when. And okay. Bill Murray says, I mean, I don't think this is true, but he says he signed on for Garfield because his agent said, hey, it's Ethan Cohen. But that doesn't explain the sequel. That's that's my thing. That's a funny story, haha. But you did the, the money. sequel. The so. money explains the sequel. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess so. But uh, yeah, Ethan Cohen. So there's only going to be one director named Ethan Cohen for now because Joel Cohen's new Macbeth movie will be the not the last. It'll be the first Joel Cohen movie, I, or maybe I mean maybe not specifically, but the first wide released one. Uh, it'll be an Apple A24 one. It's just, I don't know, it's kind of weird. Ethan Cohen's just kind of bowing out. I guess once you get to the point where you've made literally 10 successful movies in a row, you can probably just retire at that point, I would hope. Okay, uh, speaking of A24, Travis Scott might be collaborating with A24. He put out a picture on his Twitter where it looked like a manuscript, and it said, by Travis Scott, or... Whatever you put, Huncho Jack, you know, whatever you put, uh, Cactus right. Jack, you know. But, and it said A24 at the top? Probably, if I had to guess, maybe not Lil Dicky-esque, but in the same vein of, okay, this is, you know, fucking avenue I can tap into. And then my curiosity is, if it's A24, does that mean it's an Apple TV thing? Like, is it going to go straight to Apple TV, Travis Scott? And well, if I mean, so... if it's a show, I'd assume it's going to be Apple. But I mean, if it's like a if it's a concert movie thing, like right, how well, people have been doing, do you write those? I think those are documentaries, really. Yeah, but I think if Travis Scott were to do one, he wouldn't do a normal one. That's my idea. That's I, I feel as though he would do something weird and have his thing mixed in with it or something like that. Because I assume this isn't just going to be, you know, a TV show. I, I assume he's not written this whole TV show. I assume it's some one-off project, but. Uh, yeah, nothing's confirmed. Uh, that was just from his Twitter. And moving on to some Disney Plus news. We talked about how Black Widow made $30 million, I think it was $30 million on Disney Plus Premier Access. Well, Jungle, Jungle Cruise has made $30 million on Disney Plus Premier Access over its opening weekend. Uh, that's sick. It's a lot of money. It's working out for Disney. You know. I just want to say that, just to reiterate the same thing i said about black widow the problem with people buying the premiere access isn't that they don't have the right to watch a movie that they want to watch and that they were going to watch anyway but you're now pumping disney with so much money for making trash movies that they have an excuse to continue to 
pour out trash. Whereas if you went to the movies and this thing made, we'll say 60 mil over its budget, it would be fine, but it necessarily wouldn't make a Jungle Cruise 2. This has basically all been guaranteed that they have $30 million to pump into a Jungle Cruise 2 straight profit, no theater cash. Like, that's just disgusting. Yeah, uh, for sure. And I, I wanted to... Sorry, I didn't have a transition for this piece of news, but I'll skip over and transition into a pretty big story. Speaking of Disney Premier Access, Scarlett Johansson is suing Disney over Black Widow contract breach after Disney did not give her the paycheck that, uh, you know, her and her agent or her and her crew felt she deserved because she was entitled to some of you know, the net profit or the gross profit or whatever. But that doesn't count, apparently, when they sell the movie on Premiere Access. And so this is all pretty much culminated into Scarlett Johansson pretty much lost out on $50 million. That That's really the, the big boiling, you know, <laughs> the boiling point right there, is that she lost $50 million because of the Premiere Access COVID solution, and she's rightfully not happy about it. And I'll continue this story because Disney, I you know, I'm just not even going to read it. Disney has really shit the bed here. They've uh, double backed on it and said that, what was it? it? It said that she made $20 million and that her involvement in the movie was great or has greatly enhanced her ability to earn additional compensation. So, you know, you got that exposure. You weren't expecting right. money, were you? You got right. that well, Disney- and- I think the big thing with these kind of things is, like, obviously, no one's arguing that she isn't rich. Whether she needs the money or not does not matter. Right. You signed a legally binding document entitling her to certain monies, and that's all that should matter. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, they promised And, of course, her... Disney just trying to do a PR scheme, like a smear campaign, almost like, oh, look at Richie Rich over here. Exactly, <laughs> like, yes. You're Disney, bro. You're, <laughs> yeah. like, the first, like, trillion-dollar company. Like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, well, uh, it seems to be that there are rumors in the within the rumor mill or coming out of the rumor mill that Disney higher-ups aren't happy about this situation, which is crazy. It's weird that you guys wouldn't think this through. You thought, hey, we're probably going to take a hit on some of these profits. Let's not talk to the people we signed a contract with about said profits. Let's just put it on Disney Premier Access. (laughs) But uh, yeah, and this lawsuit has apparently led to Emma Stone uh, deliberating whether or not she will sue Disney for Cruella's Premier Access release because i assume she lost some money too right the same exact kind of contract i'm sure they were like shit we suckered it out of her let's suck it out of this bitch too oh oh speaking of companies not paying people uh (laughs) gerard butler has or sorry is suing uh the producers of olympus has fallen because he has not been paid 10 million dollars I mean, if you had a lawsuit filed in Los Angeles Superior Court, he says he's owed $10 million because they fudged some numbers and said it didn't make the money that it did. Seems like contracts and actors and movies are taking a tumble this past week or two. Somebody, sure. somebody down the line has fucked up tremendously. Well, and my, I guess another thing is, like, why was Gerard Butler in that movie? And how did it get so successful? 
Gerard Butler is the main character of the series, and there's like three of them. But this the was the first one, one, wasn't it? Wasn't uh, Olympus first? Yes. I thought Olympus was the first. The president yes. like gets attacked at the White House proper. Olympus is the first. And then London, and then there's another one. <laughs> Maybe another one coming out? Angel Has Fallen, uh, that's one of them. I'm not even see. Oh, and the sequel was London Has Fallen, right. and the third was Angel Has Fallen. Yeah. Right, and there's going to be a like fourth every, every three years. Actually, has Angel has Fallen come out yet? Yeah, it was August 2019. Yeah, there's a new one coming out next year. Yeah, we're it says plans for feature feature sequels and TV spinoffs are in development. Pretty sure we're getting a fourth one, but uh, yeah, so yeah, contractually, uh, actors and production companies are rethinking things, which has led Warner Bros. to reportedly rework most of its contracts based on its compromise of the HBO Max day one releases, which. Finally, I mean, you know, I think five months ago when they first announced that, people weren't happy, but they have renegotiated and have shelled out upwards of $250 million a part of these contracts. That includes paying actors like Will Smith for King Richard, Denzel Washington for that uh, The Little Things, and Gal Gadot for Wonder Woman 84. So it's costing them a pretty penny for putting this on uh, HBO Max and Premiere Access and whatnot. All right, uh, yeah, moving on to back to Marvel news. Uh, Marvel's new What If animated series, I think, just premiered this week, and it features an episode with Drax, the character from Guardians of the Galaxy, and most cast members reprise their roles, you know, like uh, Captain America. Chris Evans plays Captain America and so forth, and Chadwick Boseman plays Black Panther, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, Dave Batista does not play Drax in this. And you might be wondering why he was not asked. <laughs> Just straight up, he tweeted he was not asked. And yeah, they didn't want him to voice Drax. So Disney might not be happy with Marvel or with Dave Batista being all loud on Twitter and stuff. Uh, it, I don't know. It seems like they're not too excited uh, to be working sure. with him. So yeah. Um, moving on to our, no, we have two more pieces of news. Okay, one piece of news. Forbes reports that CBS, or Viacom CBS and NBC Universal have had talks to merge Paramount Plus with Peacock. Uh, apparently these talks are riding on the fact that that Discovery Plus HBO Max merger happens. So if that happens, then these two things might fused together and we're only going to have what four streaming services i mean it'd be nice but at the same time we're just going to have these four big conglomerate streaming services what they should do is movie theaters should die as we've said correct but then in the in the ashes instead of a phoenix being risen up what they do is they just buy out all these places and turn them into netflix the movie theater Exactly. Hey, Plus, I've, been movie I've been saying this for Disney months. I've been saying this for months. Disney Plus, the, the movie net- theater. Netflix theaters, it's for users. You buy concessions, free movies, yep. whatever. It's easy. It's easy to do. And let's just get to our last piece of news. Paramount has pulled its CGI live-action family film, Clifford the Red Dog, from release because it's afraid that the Delta variant will close down theaters again. If you want, if you're excited for Clifford... This year, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for you. You're going to have to wait a little bit longer for them to probably release it on a streaming service. And, and you should probably get vaccinated in like the 
next few years if you can, but you're probably a small child also, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you even know what Clifford is. Like, I don't know if there's even nostalgia, like, if that show carried over over a few years. I don't think so. I think it's just us. Yeah, okay, so uh, no Clifford this year. Uh, that was the last piece of news, though. Jesus. Woo-wee! Um, all right, moving on to albums. Thank the Lord. Uh, so this week we've got, again, a list of potentials. Uh, and probably for the next, I don't know, 15 weeks we'll be calling, talking about Kanye West's Donda. Uh, but we also have a new Nas album coming out, King's Disease 2. Uh, we got a new RZA album. Uh, and it's the RZA vs. Bobby Digital thing I think we mentioned, maybe. But maybe it's just you and I talking about it. Um, and then the big one, uh, Drake, Certified Lover Boy, uh, coming out this week. That's kind of it. The other ones are kind of small things. I just figured, eh, you can't really talk. Like, no one's going to remember because they're like, oh, shit, Drake, fuck. <laughs> right. I mean, if Drake and Kanye are supposedly releasing on the same day, that's all we really can talk about. <laughs> yeah. And again, nope. fucking Donda, dude. It's so elusive. Nope. It's like Yandi. I've already talked about it. It's like Yandi. It's just not going to come out. He's going to say he's going to release it for a month or two and then just, eh. Uh, was that all for the albums? Pretty much, yeah. That's all, all right. the interesting ones. Uh, I'll start with what I did this week because I want to start off by saying I'm so sorry to uh, Billy Crudup. Last week, I said Billy Crudup. Cradup multiple times. Yeah, you uh, said Cradup. I was like, that's a well, weird thing to say. Well, I could have, I could have, sworn that I heard an interview where someone said it like that. But yeah, it's Billy Crudup. So yeah, Billy Crudup deserves Emmys or whatever morning show. Sorry, Mister Crudup, <laughs> that's my bad. Yeah, he's our one listener. Yeah, uh, and uh, I watched that Masters of the Universe Revelations, the Netflix. He-Man reboot. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, uh, yeah, watch that He-Man reboot, and it does some interesting things with the lore, which I never thought I'd be saying about a He-Man show, but it totally does. If you know He-Man and you know the characters, it does some really interesting things with how this universe or how this timeline or story is set up. Uh, other than that, it's okay. It's only five episodes, so you're not losing on much. You know, you're not losing much time. I don't know. I don't know. If you like He-Man, go watch it. If not, yeah. Then uh, I watched that first episode of The Prince. That uh, HBO Max animated parody about the royal family. Oh, you did? You you turned it on. Yeah, sucks. Sucks. Really sucks. Uh, 15-minute episode felt a lot longer because it just wasn't funny. The whole joke of the first episode was Kelly Ripa wasn't following him on Twitter. Or Instagram. So that's that's that show. Okay. Uh watch some Colombo, yada yada music. I'll just skip to that because I didn't really do anything that interesting. Uh Jessica Pratt, I discovered this lady from the morning show played one of her songs. And I was like, okay, so I looked up the song and looked up the album she has called Quiet Signs, and I wholeheartedly recommend. This is a great album, really, I don't know, the ambiance of it, it just it just sets a tone really well, and it's it's diverse, it's, it, it's really good. I, I put one of the songs on the playlist, great. And then I listened to May's new single, May, who 
I think is a Mexican pop singer. Uh, she had an awesome song called Two that was released a couple years, 2019, I think is when. She's Venezuelan, you son of a bitch. I am so sorry. I didn't look it up. I didn't look it up. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but, okay. She released uh, Versus de Placer. Plus, Placer. Good enough. Okay, good enough. Thank you, John. John Pina, thank you for that. <laughs> uh, great song. Really good pop love song. I Did you happen to listen to it, John? Uh, no, I did not listen to it. Okay, well, I would definitely listen to it, and then I'd listen to her song too. To you, that's that's a ten that out mean, of ten means, song. That, that means you, by the oh, way. Oh, really? Are you sure? <laughs> uh, yeah, and then I listened to a song called "Intoxication" by an artist called Matt Holland. And the only reason I want to talk about this is because T Pain's Twitch stream. He now just lets people send stuff on his T Pain Discord, and he'll play it for one minute. And so this was one of the songs, and it, it wasn't half bad. Uh, but uh, that's all I did for this week, really. So yeah, obviously Isaiah Rashad. We'll not talk about that. Um, I, I I don't know why, but this week I just didn't listen to the things that you put on the playlist. I don't know why. I just I hadn't gotten to them by the time you had added them. I, had, I was done with my music for the week. But I listened to that Bleachers album. My one qualm isn't that it's bad. It's that I wasn't in the right mood to listen to the album that I thought I was going to get. And so it kind of turned me off and I haven't come back to listen to it because I was like very much like in a hype, happy, ready for some like upbeat indie pop, like summer sounds. And this is like dark, alone at a bar, like late 80s, like love ballady jam thing going on. And I'm like, oh, this is just it's, it's too much for me right now. And of course, the thing is called Take the Sadness Out of Saturday Night. So like, it's to be expected a little bit. Yeah, it should have been expected, but I don't know. It it, it was just dark, and the Lana Del Rey song is really dark, and so I listened to the whole thing. But I was sad the whole time, and I was like, "This is not what I want." So I don't. Know. I'll come back to that later. I'm sure at some point and talk more about it. But then uh, finally, Silk Sonic, Bruno Mars, Anderson Pack uh, came out with another single for this thing that is going to come out. They also dropped the music video simultaneously. I don't know if you watched it or not, but it's called I Skate. Want, I just listened to the song. I'm telling you, they're very good at what they're trying to do. I don't know that it's going to be good. Exactly. But the the whole sound is like it's so fucking retro disco skate, they even in the it. video. And but like just the song, you can tell. But then you watch the video and you're like, this is exactly what they're going for. There's like fucking just like the go go dancing, yeah. fucking big fro, big numbers. Flared out. Late, yeah. uh, you know sleeves and bell bottoms and yeah yes, platform. the whole look yeah, like, yeah. I, I get exactly what they're going for but I just am not interested by this music from either of these artists I mean I'm interested because it's intriguing I'm not interested because I'm necessarily pursuing it for like you know sonical pleasure I'm just like eh, yeah. it's, it's fine you know <laughs> but that's it, what it, they want to do it keeps me engaged I'm definitely going to listen to this so whenever the album decides to come out, Jesus Christ, I'll be listening to that. Uh, but that's pretty much all I did for music this week. Literally almost nothing. Um, now, as far as watching things, I continued my streak of using all my free time to horrendous use. Again, been watching The Bachelorette. Don't really have much to say about that. Uh, it is surprisingly good TV, and now I'm probably going to be watching all of the Bachelor, Bachelorette nice. spinoff, whatever the fuck shows. I think there's like The Bachelor in Paradise or something yep, coming out. Yeah, spinoffs, yep. 
Yeah, and so I'm sure I'll, there'll be something to talk about at some point from one of these reality shows I've started. Um, I also quickly watched, there wasn't many episodes, but uh, do you remember the Netflix reality show Love is Blind? At least, yeah, even yeah, if I you mean, didn't watch yeah, it, that it yeah. came out. It was like one of the pandemic ones that came out at the same time as a circle. Yes. Well, they just released like a after the altar thing because the premise of the show is like you fall in love without ever meeting. Right. And then like, can you get engaged and get married after the show? And they were expecting supposedly uh, no more than one couple to even seek engagement after the show, like as their like experiment, quote unquote. And I think it ended up four or five couples were engaged and two are still married like right now. So like that's more success than the bachelorette percentage wise. So I don't know. It's pretty interesting, but I mean, it's just campy fucking soap opera drama bullshit. Like if for you, sure. I mean, Jersey Shore is better TV for sure. Um, then we'll move on to real TV. Uh, no more reality crap. Uh, so watched a little bit more than Nick, but I slowed way down on it just because, uh, traveling and stuff it's hard to really binge a whole hour of tv in a sitting but little 30 45 minute shows it's are not a lot the easier. lightest of viewings either you know <laughs> right it's when, when literally just the time period piece of it makes it intentionally dark like just the lighting like let right. alone that the show is dark in theme but the lighting is also really dark which is can be strenuous on the eyes you know um but no, apple tv plus a uh, new docuseries called watch the sound with mark ronson um, and I was completely unaware of who Mark Ronson is uh, until last week when he was doing promo for this show that was releasing this week on Dak Shepard's podcast. Of course. So I found out from he, who he was a podcast a week ago. It's really interesting. He's like, I mean, I don't want to say that Amy Winehouse didn't make Amy Winehouse, but he was the guy who produced like all of Amy Winehouse's big hits that like you would know. Mm, um, he's produced fucking like. I don't know, just a bunch of a bunch of bunch of people that like you would go, oh shit, like this guy's a big producer, but literally had never heard his name at all. And so this show explores like music creation from a producer's perspective, but like more like um almost like a how it's made style. Like it could have been on Travel Channel or like Sci or not Sci-Fi, uh, the Science Channel. So it's not really, I mean, it is of course music, but it's like very technical music. So he like talks about um fucking. I'm forgetting reverb. Okay, reverb. He talks to other artists about it, interviews them. We like you watch them like record songs or like play over songs and edit the reverb on it so you can hear as someone who maybe can't imagine reverb that well. But then he like traveled to fucking like Norway and went to like the largest fucking place in the world where any reverb has been recorded. And like there's just like a lot of weird true documentary or docuseries things that I think a lot of docuseries don't do right now. It's like mostly like biopic kind of you know, like autobiographical or biographical in some way. And they don't right. really travel. It's just people sitting in a chair. And this is very much like walk around with the camera dudes, explore different places and sounds and people. Um, so it felt more like a cultural thing than it did a thing about Mark Ronson. He just was like the host. It felt like, mm. um, and so in that regard, I thought it was really good. It's really well done. Um, I'm not sure if it's ongoing. All the episodes dropped at once. That's my one hiccup. Um, so I, I didn't watch all the episodes for fear that I was going to, have to wait yeah so i watched yep. i watched the first three and then stopped i think there's six released right now but six felt like a weird number for a docuseries so i was like i don't know that that's all of them six is nice and even 
Sure, but like TV shows are usually like eight or ten, and if it's a docu series and it's like a part series, like it's like three part series. You know what I mean? I don't know. Six part series sounds weird. Five would have been weird. Okay, five would have been crazy. Six, four, six, I can see. Five, the five's crazy. Whatever, whatever. Um, but yeah, that's actually really, really interesting. Uh, and then I wanted to start similarly the um, Paul McCartney one on uh, Hulu, but I was like, I can only choose one music documentary, so probably next week I'll talk about that. And then again, been keeping up with Dave, Schmigadoon, still recommend both. Dave has now released episode nine. Yes. So next week, episode again, 10, start, so you can watch it this week. Start watching Dave, cool. <laughs> and it's good. I don't know. It's it's not the best show in the world, but it, it, it keeps you entertained, yeah. for sure. And I think that's it, unless I'm forgetting something. I didn't really watch movies that I can think of. Yeah, I, I can't think of anything else, so. All right. Uh, what do you want to review first? Because I'm not going to either. Uh, let's do movie album, first. Album movie? Okay, okay. We usually do album first, right? That's the convention, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, we did uh, Green Knight 2021, Dev Patel, directed by Soderbergh? Soderbergh. David Lowry. David Lowry. What was the Soderbergh Soderbergh's movie? the Nick. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, he did that, uh, that HBO Max movie that just came out, too. Man. I know. I thought I was like I thought we were talking about Soderbergh, not in the Nick, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah okay. David Lowry. David Lowry. <laughs> uh, yeah. You wanna you wanna take yeah, the okay. reins on it? Uh, I will say that this is definitely an ode to the classic hero story. Just hero has a thing to do, perils along right. the way. On a on a quest. Does the the night thing. on a quest? Yeah. 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 Has a quest, and then the quest plays out. So. Just want to preface that by saying the story's not like unconventional at all. Uh, I, I would say the scenes and maybe the things that happen in them, but the story itself is pretty straightforward. But that's not right, to the, the framework. The yes. framework is the same, but, but the story the, is not. The way it uses that framework is pretty damn great. Uh, just to start off with the first two seconds of the movie, when the the witch or whoever is telling you about telling you about the story of the green knight and it's that shot with the fire and it's all celestial in a way almost supernatural and that's just a great way to get you into a uh, a myth or a mythological movie is to start off by it feeling mythological i mean that's that, that's logically the best way to do it and a lot of right, movies don't it seem doesn't to always do that. yeah it doesn't happen yeah <laughs> does not but david lowry was definitely able to do that and do it well and throughout the movie, I don't know, he he plays on that fact that it's kind of a classic hero story, but it's but it's not. You know, Dev Patel is not your classic hero. He's not he's not know. really uh confident. I mean he's he's confident well, I think that's with the whole like thing. his girlfriend, but you know. The to say that it's even the same framework is almost disingenuous because like I mean if you think of like the Arthurian tale, this is like a young boy, you know like, not even a man yet, who pulls a fucking mythical sword out of a rock. Instantaneous legend status, right? So, of course, the quests and things and people are going to come to him for aid and travel or whatever, because he's already this hero. Death Patel, on the other hand, is like a schmuck. He's like a rich kid who's fucking uncle of some dude, or nephew of some dude who, you know, couldn't be fucked around. He just gets pissed drunk all day and is a debaucherous kind of just, you know, man-child. But he is a man. Unlike Arthur, who was a child who right. was forced into manhood. So, like, the whole premise that this guy now has to go on a quest 
is kind of interesting because you're watching like a true you know hero's journey but not from the perspective of a hero at all just some little fucking almost like flaccid scared little man and then obviously the story unfolds and you know it, he adventures here and there but it's like um i don't know it, it was somehow very predictable in what would happen yeah. but no less fun for it you know what i mean like it, it, they didn't try to do some crazy like well, well of course he's a hero so he's gonna turn his whole life around like it, it felt like a very realist pragmatic approach to that kind of tale which is really dope and interesting Every, every, everything definitely felt natural whether it was his change of character during some parts later in the movie or or you know just his interactions with said events you know the weird events that are different than classic hero tales uh I don't know. I, I I mean that probably goes to show you how much Dev Patel really pulled this character off too, because I mean you know obviously the script is fantastic. The writing was actually amazing, and just the accurate uh, the accurate dialogue and the accurate vocabulary, vernacular, whatnot. But I think Dev Patel really captured that uh, just a knight that's not sure of himself at all. You know, he it's almost a balancing act between when to be a headstrong nightman, but he never really is, you know, it's like, he always felt anxious, like, the, the character always felt anxious to me, or it always felt like there was some underlying anxiety, and... I guess yeah. this is my own 2021 brain, or maybe, like, 2015 brain, I guess, because I'm curious, like, how, like, it was never really disclosed, obviously... You know, the King Arthur-ish character, assumingly King Arthur, because they made it seem like yeah, it was Excalibur, I, yeah. right? I'm pretty sure, um, it's, damn sure it's King Arthur. <laughs> but that he, you know, refers to Dev Patel's mom as his sister. Yeah. And then refers to him as nephew. Uh -huh. But obviously those are two brown people. And I'm like, that was a where weird. do brown people show up in England? And how is it that no one's going to talk about? Like, I was like, I'm down for them to be brown, but like, they're the only brown people in this movie, so surely that seems like it's strange. Like, are they from a faraway land? Like, did she marry in? Is it not, like, his biological sister? It's, like, a sister by marriage or something? Like, it's weird that one of the only two brown characters in the whole fucking movie is a witch. I, like, is that weird? There was a lot of... <laughs> that was a, yeah, there was, like, a lot of race stuff that I was, like, I feel like this should have been explored or mentioned, and they kind of just went, like, no, it's totally fine. I only have two brown people, and just not talking about that at all. <laughs> like, that's not how the medieval fucking these men never traveled across the goddamn ocean mm -hmm. you know what i mean their their frame of reference is so small that to see someone who's naturally brown pigmented it just that like that would be fucking fascinating all right uh i did love its take on like different arthurian aspects like i love the merlin i i even liked that uh the morgana sister character wasn't just a boring old white lady. I don't know. It, was, it kind of changed the pace a little bit. I mean, because I expected a King Arthur movie to just all white people. You know, that's what we've got in the last forever <laughs> the, right. that I can tell. You know, the last uh, well, while. I'm happy it's not all white people, but it the story is all white people. So when it's not all white people, I feel like there should like you know, it's not like fucking Idris Elba with King Arthur. You know what I mean? It wasn't like a full you know, diversion of expectations. It was just two characters. That's, That's my true. issue. I'm like, it was such a small change that I'm like, this kind of subtlety isn't usually unexplained. It's usually subtle. 
so that you can either infer your own interpretation or the interpretation is there, but it doesn't necessarily have to be outright explained. And I'm fine with that, but this wasn't subtle. This was just two brown people being cast for a movie, as far as I could tell. Like, it, there was no reason for them to be two brown people, even though it was. So that's just, that was my thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'll go on to say I love the imagery of the movie and just some of the shots. I think I said the the Green Knight character and him exiting the the hall, the the round table hall, just him laughing and just walking away, knowing that the challenge has been set. I love all that and just the mystery of this movie. I don't know, uh, almost that you're looking for what's symbolizing what or even what is what you know right, uh, right. well that there was a lot of suspense built into the direction the, let alone the story itself which is very like what the fuck is this green thing that just cha- like again the, you know the whole premise is the fucking green knight challenges him basically to be beheaded in a, a year's time so he's got to go fight this fucking knight possibly or at least figure out does he actually want to chop my head off or whatever and so the whole thing is very suspenseful because you're like, this dude might just fucking die at the end of it. <laughs> like, this dude might just get his head chopped off. Uh, and then, of course, it's like exploring what it means to be a man and to be a knight, and to be a hero or whatever. But literally just certain shots, like one, the little CGI Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah. The other, like the big fucking naked women giant things, the the um like the camera inversions and the long tracking shots, yes, like the, yeah. the way it would pan a full like 360 degrees in the forest. Um, there's a lot of like really interesting things that added curiosity and element of like wonder. And again, like fantastical um, imagery to the whole thing was really dope. And uh, just a side thing on that. If you noticed, I mean, I, I don't think it's a hundred percent, but it seemed like every time it was, uh, 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 De Gawain, Dev Patel's character Gawain. Mm-hmm. Uh, every time it was Gawain's point of view, that's the only time he did acid dissolve transitions. Mm-hmm. I started noticing that, like it had to be specifically Gawain's or something Gawain was doing, or Gawain's face was in the shot, and then it would acid dissolve into another scene. Whereas all the other transitions were just, you know, cut, cut. So that kind of I don't know, added a little bit to it, almost like it was his consciousness or his thoughts even, or like those scenes from his point of view were more personal in that way. And I just thought like, that's just a very small touch, but rather effective really. And I think this movie is filled with just small things like that. You know, whether it be the end, Joel Edgerton and uh, Alicia Vikander and that, that whole part was just mysterious to the the core, like to the maximum. Uh when I mentioned it after we watched it, because um, for the viewers, we watched it together. Um, I feel like, and I, I haven't gone to tally it up, but I think there was an element of like, he's being exposed to, I mean, not like so Christianly that it was the seven deadly sins. Although there was a lot of like Christian iconography in the movie with the fucking Mary and Jesus on his um, shield. And obviously the, a lot of the crosses and allusions to Sunday mass, etc. For sure. Um, the green chapel. But, Right, but I, I wasn't sure if it was exactly the seven deadly sins or not, but it was like very much like knightly tests. Like, was he being chivalrous? Was he being faithful to his duty of being a single man, you know, serving his people as opposed to serving a wife or whatever? Um, at a certain point, you know, a knight becomes a king when, you know, he's ready to settle down. A knight is a knight. It means he's a single man who, you know, knows nothing but his service to, you know, a cause. And so... 
felt like there was a lot of that in that particular scene. And obviously, like, the dead woman, the beheaded woman, um, yeah. you know, that he's, like, rescuing from the fucking lake or whatever. I was like, there's a lot of those kind of things where it's, like, yeah, almost, like, side questy in a way from, yeah, like, a video sure. game. The one with uh, Joel Edgerton, I was like, yeah, it's like, is he supposed to, like, secure his manhood, but also not, you know, give in to temptation? I was like, I don't know what exactly it was trying to point at, but it was, I mean, again, very suspense. I was like, this bitch is about to fucking, like, blackmail his ass, chop his dick off. I was like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, you have no idea. Uh, yeah, I'll just say that th this movie has gotten better over the days from watching it, I think. Like, literally, now that my mind's taken time to kind of analyze what I was thinking or some of the scenes... And, and, you've, and you've forgotten about the horrible viewing experience of having yes, a pack yes. full of high school teens. But this is a PSA, by the way. If you are, mostly we'll say 25 and younger, uh, it's you and your friends. Um, ideally, no small children, though if they're your nieces and nephews or your own children. Um, also, shame on you if you're partaking in this kind of behavior. Don't throw shit, don't answer phone calls, don't talk in a shared space that everyone's paid money to watch a thing. Uh, even if you're just there to fucking Mystery Science Theater 3000, like, if other people are there, just, like, behave and be, like, respectful just a teeny bit, you know? Yeah, like, that'd be cool. I find with, with one change drop, we heard, like, five or six hundred coins hit the ground. Yeah, uh, the movie... <laughs> Nobody said at one point you were doing the math. How much change could he have gotten back to be dropping that much change? Well, yeah, cause, so if he if the change was one cent over, so he would have gotten 99 cents back, and that's only nine coins, or eight or nine coins, and... Yeah, and we heard, like, 25 coins more than eight or nine, Like, this man yeah. brought change to the movie just to drop on the ground. Yeah, and then ate his popcorn one kernel at a time. Or his friend ate the popcorn one kernel at a time and right. yeah theaters need to die okay yeah. <laughs> theaters need to die uh that's 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 all i'll say about that situation uh this is one one of the few movies that we've reviewed where i just kind of want to rewatch this sometime you know just maybe not immediately you know but uh a couple weeks or obviously it's not going to be on streaming services in a couple weeks but if it were i would definitely be down or something or if someone asked me to go see it again yeah, I don't know. It's a pretty good movie. I think it's really of the time for some reason. It feels modern. Is that just me? I think it's the brown people. I was trying to think of why it would feel <laughs> modern. <laughs> I think it's just the brown people. I don't know. It just feels like a modern telling of the classic hero story, whether it be Beowulf or Bilbo or, you know, whatever hero you want. It, it seems like a, a a great twist on it or maybe not a twist but a uh, great version of that so for sure for sure it's like a a modernized retelling but only in a way that you know to make an awful allusion to something else we've referenced you know an, an analogy to it it's modern in the sense that a dramatized fresh prince would be to the old whimsical sitcom it's not modern in the sense of like it was super innovative in tech or they like jumped time or something you know there was no sci-fi high fantasy it was just high fantasy yeah so um the screen yeah, and that, transitions and that, i think might have helped my modern sense because what, respect, they did the big say. letterbox you know and literally literal screen or scene transitions not just yeah yeah well and that that was something we had talked about after the movie as well but um those happened a little too fast like yeah. not not too fast that i couldn't get it but just fast enough that I like was struggling and had to like make a 
really like mental effort to focus and try to read and then afterwards i'd be like oh right beheading the beheading at the green chapel right that I, v word I, looked so cursive it was unreadable i'm very much behind being authentic and staying true to the time period that you're capturing but using a font that i can barely read sometimes on certain letters that's not really a good choice no matter what the choice was right. or what your principles were behind it if i can't read a word Maybe just edit a letter or two or something. Yeah, that I don't really have any negatives with this movie. I thought it was shot well, score was well, or score did well. Acting, there was no... I mean, there were not that many actors when it comes down to it. You know, not a lot of scenes where an actor could uh, show off their talents. But it still had enough. I mean, the actors were doing... Did a great job. Uh, I agree. I, yeah, I don't I, know. I my, don't my, my only... My only problems were the viewing experience with the fucking idiot kids yep and um just like questions more so than problems like i just want to know like was it just because dev patel's indian and he was a great in the audition Maybe. and thus they kind of just needed like an indian looking woman to be his mom because it wouldn't make sense for an old white lady to be his mom <laughs> like i would that, that was just really the only hang up i had was that one little thing and then the cgi was kind of dog shit on the fox but yeah. Not worth complaining about, really. Just although the practical I... effects are amazing, I'll counter the CGI with that. Right, really good. And, well, and like the makeup and costume design, like for the Green Knight itself, the Green Knight looks sick. Oh, uh, and like I... when he was like emerging from the chapel, I was like, this looks dope. A uh, quick thing I read: uh, one of the directors of Weta Digital, who do CG for thousands of movies now, but they did the CG for this. The Green Knight, when he's in the shadows, first approaching, his face actually turns to every single character. Like when he's first introducing himself and when you can barely see his face in the outlines of the shadows, apparently it turns to every single character, like Joel Edgerton, Dev Patel, Morgana, King Arthur, Merlin. And yeah, oh. I just think those touches are really nice, even though I didn't perceive that, you know, obviously it added to it, but it's, it's almost unnoticeable. And well, and, and like you said, like this is a movie that I would completely rewatch as well, and I think it's because it's made to be rewatched. Like you know, I don't think it's a one viewing kind of movie, whereas a lot of movies typically are. Like it's a plot that you don't care about, or a plot that has a singular resolution and not like a kind of a ambiguous ending. And this didn't really even have an ambiguous ending, but it had such an ambiguous journey yes. that it's worth just rewatching just for that. Because like honestly, I I don't think right now I could tell you the order of events yeah, exactly I, I mean i could probably if i walked through it like really hard but like i'm just saying right now it's not my head i don't think so um and so that's pretty dope yeah uh in the in the ending even though it's obvious it's still open-ended enough that it's just your imagination takes over even though right you know like and that's i don't know really nice touches all around uh what score you want to give it what, what score are you thinking because i had eight five and I was, I was, I'm not saying it's a nine, but it's nine territory. And if someone yeah, argued it's, it's it nine territory, a nine, that's my problem. Yeah. I, I don't know that I would argue it to a nine, but I'm fine with an eight, five. I think on rewatching, it could be a nine, but on rewatching, it could be an eight. So I think yeah. eight, five is totally fine to keep it. Definitely nine territory. I, I mean, this movie is a great movie. So I, I want to get that clear, but eight, five for me. Yeah. I, I'm fine with eight, five. All so right. then moving on. We've got uh, Isaiah Rashad's The House is Burning, the... TDE's latest, greatest, you know, 2021. Uh, I was reading or listening to something about how TDE was on the verge of 
kind of becoming a flop label uh just based on like their you know like last four or five records and they basically their sole use of kendrick as being like the label and then everyone else kind of for sure you know well yeah. like like even um it's like just to like talk about one of the people on the label like schoolboy q yep. uh he had what was it just like with the 5200 and num num juice crash crash talk yes crash talk um came out what 2018 2019 uh 2019 maybe i think it, i think it got delayed to 2019 i think that's right because um mac miller died is what happened and then he pushed back the album because he was like i don't want to go on tour my like really good friend just died like i'm not really about all that and so people were like okay we're kind of hyped for this thing this is a new tde thing and then literally i would say from that album and that album still wasn't very well received like i thought it was okay yeah, I, there was like I five or six bangers that i liked but Overall, like I wouldn't say it's this album for sure. So I think people are putting a lot of hype on this. Like, I, as J Rock, obviously Absol hasn't had anything for. Like I was five about. Years, I was literally about. I talk like about J-Rock. it every week. <laughs> like J Rock, has he had a project? Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's just yeah, like a lot project. of misses. There's a lot of misses or a lot of just like, uh, unreleased shit. And so it's like everyone just banks on Kendrick every year to hopefully come out with something, and then he hasn't for some time now. So it's like, people were talking about how. Is, is this top dog's like last chance here with this fucking Isaiah Rashad? I personally think this hits really well. Supposedly, critically, this hasn't been getting the best appraisal. Um, but not that I give a shit about what critics say. Yeah. But, um, As an Isaiah Rashad fan, maybe maybe yeah, the same. critics might not love Isaiah Rashad's well, sound or something. Maybe they don't. Well, you know. And so you know, the one that I just keep tabs on just because I love shitting on him now is Fantano. But of course there's numerous critics that I was like reading the reviews and it was like fine mixed bag kind of thing. But Fantano's biggest problem was he thought Rashad was kind of lame on it. That they really didn't deliver himself. And what happened was he was carried by a lot of the features. And then I thought about that as a take. And I was like, I think he did a lot and he just happened to have one, non-egregious use of features like usually if someone sucks it's because the features just like completely outworked him in every sense of the way and i don't think they had an issue on this record yeah, like, I, at I, all yeah i mean if we want to start there i i would definitely disagree with that because he might have not been you know spitting the best bars he's ever spit but he was no. definitely bringing isaiah rashad to the table he's bringing exactly what i wanted from a project of his uh see i wasn't a fan of the sun's tirade i i liked that album but i didn't love it i mean sylvia i think think people i think people liked his um that first thing yeah sylvia demo yeah no sylvia demo's top 10 mixtapes of all time for me but sun's tirade i just didn't care for and i know a lot of people loved it but people didn't listen to it i like park yeah yeah (laughs) yeah one song Uh, i like off it uh yeah a lot of people i don't think a lot of people listened to it that much so it wasn't really you know a a hit or very financially successful but i still think it's successful critically but uh aside from that just trying to get into the actual album uh i i love the flow of this album it at first i think the first listen i kind of thought okay the second half's a little better but then the second listen it totally changed i was like wait Maybe just from the first song down, it's pretty good. You know? Yeah, so my my thing was uh, I started the day listening to the Bleachers album, and it was not what I wanted at all, right? I said, it's like too melancholy. I wanted summer vibes. I turned this thing on, and I'm like, 
this is like pregame party playlist to the max. I was like, there's some like, you know, not necessarily like slower dance numbers, but just like a little bit more somber introspective songs. But then for the most part, kind of just like chilled, laid back bars. Like it wasn't, it wasn't trying to be a banger album. It wasn't trying to be a super like club heavy thing. It wasn't trying to be super introspective. It wasn't like he was trying to prove himself. He was just making good music. And for me, like basis, like that's already a good album. Yep. And then I think the features absolutely destroyed it, but I don't think they outpaced Zay at all. No, I so, think they like, just complimented it. Yeah, Smino's feature on Claymore, Claymore I thought was insane. I thought, fantastic. I thought, like, he, I thought what uh, Duke Deuce and him did, like trading bars back to back, like the little switch up kind of like Royce to five nine Eminem thing, yep. like on uh, Lay Witcher. Um, I thought Dochi, which by the way, um, I don't know if you know Dochi, but we I've talked about her before because she used to go by I Am Dochi like a month ago. I've seen that on she, on our playlist, right? And okay. she recently switched over to Dochi because uh, I was looking at the features and it says what you said featuring I am Dochi. But then like, if you look at Spotify, it says Isaiah Rashad, Dochi and Cal Banks on gotcha. the song. And so, yeah, so it is Dochi. She did like that yucky, blucky fruitcake song that I really liked. And that whole project that I was like, eh, it's pretty good, but I'm not a black woman. So I can't really, you know, discuss about <laughs> like, it sounds good. And I, I believe you, but I, I'm not in your shoes at all. No, but yeah, um, I think it's dope. I really like for it. sure the features just add to it. Uh, shout out to YG Tut, the feature on Chad, yeah, because YG Chad. Tut is a great rapper and is the only like rapper that I know shouts out Chattanooga all the time. I mean, literally all of his tapes, all of his songs talk about Chattanooga every song, yeah. just about. But uh, yeah, I just want to shout out YG Tut because he's amazing. Doesn't give the love he deserves because. Uh, Preacher's Son was amazing, and then that last project he put out was amazing. But besides that, yeah, he complimented Chad or um, J Rock's feature was on, sick True Story. on True Story. That was yeah. amazing. I didn't really he care. Might, he might have outshone Zay on that one. On though. that one specifically, I yeah. didn't really care for the other guy. The other Jay Worthy. Yeah, I didn't love him, but J Rock absolutely made that song. That was killer, and I guess I can't agree. He was outshined by by J Rock, uh, but I mean, you know, that's that's a one off. I think there was a little Uzi Vert feature that I didn't hate. Yeah, the like, second I liked one from yeah, the garden. I liked that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because you were saying how it didn't try to be a banger, but I was about to say from the garden, I thought it was a pretty awesome banger. Like it didn't right, try right, right. to be those things, but it was right. able to. It just was encapsulate. It just could. Yeah, yeah, it could. It, it could function as that, which yeah, is great I, I because. Totally Definitely, there's different moods within this one album, you know? I mean, we've talked about diversity, audio diversity, plenty of times. And this, I mean, this album, it does lays the groundwork and does it well, you know? It, it might not be a perfect album or blowing my mind or blowing my eardrums with how fantastic it is. For an album, is this a better album than Green Knight was a movie? That's interesting. I feel like they're pretty equal, honestly. Like I would I, say, okay, I'm glad we're in the... I, just, I was thinking for numbers in the future here, because uh, I'm pretty up there for this one. But, um, yep. yeah, any favorite tracks, things like that? Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, Claymore. I feel like I'm, I shouldn't even put Claymore, because it's obviously top two tracks. Yeah. I don't care yeah. what the other track is, it's top two. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, besides Claymore... I really liked Chad. Uh, 9 to 3 Freestyle, I really liked. And I don't know, it, it stood out on the album. 
because obviously it's not like totally freestyle, but his free verse on that song was fantastic. And uh, Don't Shoot, uh, which is, I wanted to talk about Don't Shoot a little bit because I really liked it in that hook with the guy singing Don't Shoot, you know? I think mm-hmm. that's Lance Skywalker who got signed on to TDE back in like 2015 and has not put out a project since then. It's called, it's like Lance Ski Walker, like S-K-I-I-I Walker. Uh, he put out one project once upon a time, and I really don't know if he put out anything else, and he's not even credited as the singer of that hook. So, I, yeah, I'm not sure what he's doing over at TD, but I really like Don't Shoot, and it was nice to hear his voice once again. You know, it, it's been it's been a minute. But, uh, yeah, I, I didn't have any songs I hated. Did you yeah. have any songs you um, really loved? or? Uh, So I... You know, I told you my, my way of marking these. I don't have my notebook or anything. I just put mm-hmm. the little heart Spotify feature. Um, and I usually try to be pretty conservative with it. Like, I don't try to just give it out on all the songs that I kind of like. I put it for like, oh, these are the ones I want to come back to and really listen to. Uh, and I liked all but four songs on this. But two of them are two that you just mentioned. I really didn't care for 9 to 3 Freestyle really? or Don't Shoot. I mean, really? they were fine, yeah. but those were not standout tracks in my mind. Like, well, I, I know Don't I, Shoot's like the least played, and I just I thought that was a travesty is all. That's it. Um, so I guess you're but, not yeah. alone. Right. Uh, I liked uh, the first two songs, Dark Side and From the Garden. Um, yep. I Dark think Side was From the Garden just, intro. Su- just surprised me with Lil Uzi Vert. Um, and unlike the uh, Leon Bridges thing, I think this was like the perfect start. Yes. Yes, this 100%. is a perfect start. This is exactly how I wanted this album to open up. So I was like already hyped from the beginning. Yeah, Dark Side um, wasn't. It, it wasn't. Uh, it didn't set expectations too high or too low. It was just oh, perfectly just perfect. right into it. Yeah. And then uh, Claymore, obviously, but headshots for the locals. So I think I was probably a first half guy, but only because the four songs I didn't like were in the last half, and not because the last half didn't have worthwhile stuff. Like True Story was great. What you said, I thought was great. Chad. I don't know. Is it T-H-I-B or Thib? I, I wasn't, because I mean, the house is burning, but yeah. I wasn't sure which way you would say it. Yeah, um, Thib, but, whatever. Uh, I, I really liked, you know, the, the titular song. Um, I thought they, I thought it was really good. I, I would go as far as to say this is a nine for me. Hey, I'd say this hey, is a nine. I mean, it delivered uh, fully, and I want to listen to this. Like, I was listening to this all day yesterday. I was going to say eight, five, but like, if you, if you want to talk to me in the nine, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't refuse this thing, this album a nine, you know? Uh, so, so I'm trying to think from one, just the perspective of like the TDE thing I was mentioning. Yes. And as a, like a fuck you to Anthony, I'm like, this totally does it. Like this yep. is very much like a concept driven album that he turned into like, just like a playlist of dope music. You know what I mean? Like, for sure. Cause it's, it's not, uh, it's it's not uh, as thematic as albums we've listened to, you know. It's not one <laughs> theme throughout, but yeah, like you said, it's like a it's an amazing compilation, right? And um, you know, compared to Sun's tirade, even compared to the Sylvia demo, like I've listened to Sylvia demo, but I didn't listen to it when it was out. I didn't listen to that when that was like put Isaiah on the map, right? Yeah, like, it's probably boring now. I, right, Isaiah was on the map for me when i heard park and i discovered him in sun's tirade and you were like bro i've been telling you to listen to isaiah Rashad for years and i said fuck you <laughs> whatever dude i didn't just ride on everybody it was on tde um but this album for me has like really cemented isaiah rashad in my mind as like someone i really want to keep not tabs on because obviously it's hard to not keep tabs on someone who signed to like one of the biggest labels in rap but 
I, I'm fully committed to being an Isaiah fan now, and I wasn't, I couldn't, I wouldn't have ever put myself in that boat before. I've been like, oh, Isaiah Project, that's cool. That's exactly why we picked this. You're part but, of the Zay Hive. Zay Hive. Ugh. <laughs> you love um, But yeah, I don't. I I just I thought this was like, I I again near perfect album for me. The only issue again runs a little on the long side for me, but mostly just because I think there's songs that. I don't know that needed to be on here. There my, was no I mean, my, egregious skits or anything. So yeah, yeah, no crazy interludes or crazy skits. It's yeah, it's weird when an album doesn't have that. You enjoy it. It's weird how that works. But yeah, my negatives are it doesn't miss question mark like because I I don't hate or I don't dislike anything about this album. I I really don't. There's nothing to. There's not even that many critiques I can pull out. You know, like I. Then why were you an eight five? It's just not, there's, in my mind, 9.0 is kind of a league, like, that's a, that's the next jump, uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll still agree with the 9, you know, we'll give it TWC 9 out of 10, but, uh, yeah, uh, do you want to say anything more on the album? Uh, no, but I, I just want to convince you that you should give it a 9, not necessarily that we give it a 9, it was just you like, um, <laughs> well, like, like, what, what did we give to Pimba Butterfly, we give that a 10? Uh, I think I was on the nine realm, actually. I said I wanted so to like, give it a ten, so. Mm-hmm. So maybe we went nine five on that one. Yeah. Because I'm like, if that's your nine, then we got some issues to go. But I'm like, that's my ten, and I'm like, I mean, yeah, this yeah. Some butterflies probably close. as close to a ten as you can get. Right. I was like, this isn't that close, but I'm like, it's pretty damn close. It doesn't have it's egregious really... issues, so I'm like, a nine to a ten is a pretty big There's jump. Different so. leagues, yeah. For me, I don't, I, I don't know why. There's just it's almost a sacred scale from nine to ten. Like that one point <laughs> scale is just whoa. It's you know, an extra whoa. ten there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, uh, one of the last things I want to talk about, that uh, Headshot song that you talked about, mm-hmm. I feel like because I listened to it as a single, I really didn't care for it when I listened to it on the album. And that's that's not Isaiah Rashad's fault. That's nobody's fault but music and just how music is released. Uh, I just want to say it's kind of funny that way because I'm the type, you know, I don't like watching trailers. And right. it's weird that it would happen musically. You know, I didn't expect that. Because, I don't know, not the first or second time, but after listening to the album, I kind of just skipped that song because I was like, I know this one, you know. But right. uh, let's give it a nine, you know. We'll, we'll give it a nine. We'll give it a nine. We haven't given a nine on an album in a minute, so. All right. So what's on our list for this week? Yeah, okay. Time for the outro. Uh, and this week's picks are going to be, I didn't pull them up, actually, because my computer crashed. So, uh, so it's Michael Saranowski's Pig and by Loverboy. Uh, this has been the Worst Critics. I'm John Pina. And I'm No Davis. And we'll catch you next week. We're out of here. There you go.